Well, um, good evening. Good evening, everyone. Since I only have about 50 minutes and I'm a talker, we probably should get started. <laughs> if I'm expected to finish on time, I better get started. <laughs> so um, I, would like to, I would like to open with a word of prayer, and then we will, um, we will go from there. So our gracious Father, we thank you for all of your many blessings, um, not the least of which is um, giving us this opportunity to gather together in your name. And I just pray that um, your Holy Spirit would lead us into truth, that you would open our eyes and our ears to the truth of your word, um, and that it would knit our hearts together and prepare us to go out and serve you in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so welcome to um, Dissident leaders, dissident followers, imitating Christ in the workplace. So um, obviously I was taking that off of um, the, the, from the theme from um, Jerry's series um, on dissident disciples. And um, it just seemed as we were talking about a leadership class, it just seemed like that would be a good, a good, direction, to, a good direction to go on something on which, on which we could build. Um, as I mentioned today, so this is going to be, um, a little different tonight, but otherwise, my hope is that this will be probably the best way to describe it is a little less, little less seminar, a little more workshop, um, maybe be the best way to put it, um, because I think that there's a, I don't think, I know that there's a lot of collective experience and collective knowledge in this room, and so one of the best ways to, to leverage that is to have you working together on some things. So, um, so the next couple of times that we get together, hopefully you will, you, I won't scare you off and you'll come back. Um, so the next, the next couple of times we get together, um, we may even maybe have some tables set up or something. We'll think, think through that. But bottom line is so that you're able to work in some smaller groups and that sort of thing. And, um, and from a structure standpoint, um, as I said today, I'll do a little bit more talking. But um, what I hope that we'll do in some of those times is really kind of look at some of the challenges that you face in the, that you face in the workplace. And whether you're in a formal leadership position or not, whatever your position happens to be in, um, but that you'll will be, be a place where you can share some of those things and talk through some ideas and then be able to report those back to the, to the larger group. And then I will certainly spend some time sharing, um, sharing some of my own experience and, and most of which you will note from any story I tell you will come out of failure. Um, so those have been the times when I've learned the most is um, by doing something, okay, that was really, really stupid. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know where I read that, but that, that, that doesn't work. That doesn't work with real people. So, um, but I am curious with, um, you know, because I do want to make sure that our time together serves you as best I can. So I am curious, I'd love to hear from just a few of you as to what you hope to get out of our time together. So when you saw this is what we were doing, what made you decide that you were going to come? Struggle? <laughs> Keeping it real. Yes. Yes. Others? Yes, please. I just work in a, kind of a stressful job. Mm-hmm. Have this Wonderful. I saw another hand. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wonderful. Okay. Wonderful. Absolutely. Very good. And, you know, it's interesting whether it's what you described and if someone else will love you to speak up, you know, it's it's what does what does it look like in actual practice? You know, so when I'm actually doing it, I mean, what is what what does it look like? I mean, what are some some things, some tools that I can use that maybe can help me? I mean, I'm going to pray through it. I'm going to look for God to give me guidance and then I've got to go do it. But I think the other thing that can happen, whether it's communication or any of the other issues, is that it just gives us an opportunity to kind of normalize the struggle. Um, so that you understand, we all understand that you're not, you're not in it by yourself, that we are actually all in it together. So anyone else? Oh, yes, please. Yeah, I was going to say, um, delivering hard messages. Mm. Like I said, you know, while being, you know, constructive and 
Yes, ma'am. Very good. Again, still related to communication, but, but, but specific to a specific area of communication, and that is this idea of having to d- deliver difficult messages while also, you know, while also being loving. You know, one of the things we try to think about when it comes to communicating is how do I, how do I communicate this message and keep your self-respect intact at the same time? How do I do this in a way that it's not either or, but my goal here is to talk to you and preserve our relationship. And that's a difficult challenge in any relationship is to have that kind of a conversation knowing that that has the potential to damage the relationship. So I think we see those same things in the workplace. So cool. One more. Anyone else? Okay. <laughs> no judgment here. Yes, yes. That's good. Okay, wonderful. Thank you for that. I wouldn't have a very difficult environment. Yes. Nicely played. Nicely played. Well, I think that we will, I don't have any doubt that we will touch on all of that um i think those for one is i think they're very common they're very common and even um to just briefly say a little something about the kind of um, whet your appetite for later just even touch on what you just said rita i think one of the things as a person who um who has always prided himself in the fact that i speak my mind um and and so i have i learned particularly through leadership I, i learned through again through failure in leadership that oftentimes I was speaking my mind for the sake of speaking my mind, not for the purpose of you hearing what I'm saying or changing your behavior. It was actually about me. It wasn't about you. It was about my need to say what was in my head. And so I had to begin to think differently about why am I saying this? And if I, and, and what I had to practice, and I don't do, still don't do it, always do it well, um, as my wife would attest to. Never with her, though. Just, just with those children that she brought into our lives. <laughs> Unlike Adam, it wasn't the woman you gave me. It was those children. <laughs> They're the reason I'm sinning. So, but, um, <laughs> but um, you know, in all seriousness, I think that w- one of the things I had to p- start practicing doing was putting it off to the next day, putting it off to another moment. And, and if I'm not able to do that, that clearly means it must be about me. You know, the other thing I would start asking my questions is, is this the best time for you to hear what I'm about to say? Not is it the best time for me to say it. The best time for me to say it is when it's in my head. <laughs> right? I mean, I can guarantee you that's the best time. And as long as I believe that this is the right time, I can justify saying it right now. So, but if I ask myself, is this, is this the best time for you to actually hear what I have to say? That's a different question. That's a different question. And I have to, I, now I have to evaluate that. And if there's any doubt, then I shouldn't say it. And what's interesting is how often, um, because again, I don't do that perfectly. Nothing we're going to talk about I do perfectly. What I have found is how often those conversations have gone better on the other side or we didn't even have to have it. There was another way to get to whatever it was um, that didn't require me to come in and to say anything about it. So um, so I've had to ask, you know, and that has come up, I think frequently I would say, I, I tease about the children, but certainly with the kids, 
is thinking, when is the best time for me to talk to my son or my daughter? And it's different for both of them. You know, in the heat of the moment, it's not the best time to talk to my son. It's just not. Um, especially if I'm feeling heated. That's never going to go well. It's just going to be like dousing gasoline on a fire. And I find the same, I found the same thing in the workplace, right, that, I, that I'm speaking to you because I need to say what I want to say as opposed to I'm actually here to serve you. And if I'm here to serve you, then I need to say it at a time when you're most likely to hear it. I can't make you listen. I can't make you change. That's on you. But when is the best time? So anyway, so we'll get to it. We'll get to it. I hope that's helpful anyway. So tonight, <clears throat> tonight I want to um, talk about uh, four, um, actually I got it down to three. Um, I combined one of them. I combined two of them, but three foundational truths from, um, from first Peter, the first chapter and the second chapter. Um, there's a lot to unpack in there and I'm not about to try to attempt to do that. There were just some things that as I continued to read through, um, to read through it, that, <clears throat> that really stood out relative to the kinds of things that I know we're going to be discussing. And just as a little aside, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but about a year ago, I tried something that has been working really well for about, actually it's been about two years ago now. And that is, particularly with, with the epistles, is a little easier than, say, Second Chronicles, what I'm about to tell you. But, and that is that I've taken one book of the Bible and, and read it only for the next 30 days. So I can't tell you how many times I've read the entire book of First Peter. And by the time you get through it about 10 times in a row, it is amazing. <laughs> what stands out to you and how things are, I mean, it's a letter, right? So it would be like reading someone's letter over and over and over again, and you start sensing different things. So I don't know if that'll be helpful. I just thought I would share that with you. So as I was doing that, I thought, man, there's some things in here that really speak to um, what, we're, what I'm sure we're going to talk about as a group. So, all right. So we're ready to do it then? So, so okay. So I got to tell you this real quick, and then we'll do it. Okay. So, so like, I'm a speak. So I'm a speaker. So I'm a speaker, right? Okay. I'm a speaker. It's hard <laughs> I really am. And so, and so I really, <laughs> and, I just, <laughs> that's right. And so I, um, um, so I have this thing that I do whenever I'm speaking to a group of people is that in order to make sure that we're on the same page, there's a phrase that I use all the time. And then there's a phrase that I have them say in reply. And that phrase is, is that cool? And so I'll be talking because I say, is that cool all the time? And so I say, is that cool? And then the whole crowd goes, that's cool. So Andre asked me if I was going to do that tonight. And I, and I said, no, they're just going to say amen a lot. So are we ready? <laughs> amen. Amen. All right, cool. Is that cool? Amen. As <laughs> the original, is that cool? That's right. <laughs> that's right. So if you would, if you have your Bible, I am going to read from 1 Peter, the first and second chapter. I'm going to read them in their entirety um, because, again, after reading through it so many times, I think that there's just the context is so important. But Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time that the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. 
And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, that of, that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. He purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up in a, as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer sac spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, by contrast, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Behold, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were strained like sheep, but now, you, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Amen? Amen. Amen. Yeah, that's a, that's a message right there by itself, isn't it? So it's incredible um, when I, as you go through this and you think, of, as we think about as I said, as we think about the, kind of the conversations that we're going to have going forward, um, the first thing that stood out to me, I, I, when I say foundational truths, it was just these things that really stood out to me as I read through this, and I thought these are the things that we need to remember as we start having these conversations. Because at the end of the day, it all has to be tethered to God's Word. Um, no matter, otherwise it's just philosophy. But we want to be able to back up what we're saying based on, based on what God is saying. I think this is how we should handle that situation. Now, how do I go and do that, right? So the first foundational truth was just first and foremost remembering that we are exiles, sojourners, and strangers. That at the end of the day, we are exiles, we are sojourners, we are strangers. It's interesting in that very first verse that Peter 
refers to them as the, if you look in verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So he addresses this audience as exiles, right? He speaks to them as exiles of the dispersion. Now, what's interesting about that to me is the fact that the Jews would refer to anyone who lived outside of Palestine as being a part of, as being exiled or being strangers because they've journeyed away from the city of David. There was this understanding that that was home and anyone who lived outside of there, they were part of what he called, that they called the diaspora, right? So they were dispersed, but Jerusalem, the city of David, remained the home. Now, it's interesting then that Peter would choose to use that same language when he's talking about not just Jews, but also Gentiles, who are also living outside of the city of David. Now, what city of David are they living outside of? The Jerusalem or the New Jerusalem? We're living outside, you and I are today living outside of the city of David because the city of David is the New Jerusalem that will come. In reality, no matter where they were, and understand that these provinces, these, all these places he names are just provinces of Rome, the, the then known world, but that was not their home. He didn't encourage them, as you'll see as we go through this, he didn't encourage them by talking about what was back where he was at, but he encouraged them where they were because this is the fundamental thing that he understood and that I think we have to understand as we talk about how we navigate the workplace, that we too are exiles and strangers. That America is actually not my home. That we are wandering through a wilderness called North America going home. We're no longer, this is not home. Right? So we're wandering through this. And why is that important? And we'll talk about it a little bit more later. But one of the reasons why that's so important is that the, if we don't recognize that we're strangers, we have a greater tendency to act like the people in the world in which we're living. Right? So I need to be reminded that I am a stranger. That I, and that, this, that whatever is happening at work is just one stop on a bigger journey that I'm making. Everyone else may be there because they're trying to feed their families, because they're trying to climb a ladder of success. Yeah, we do all those things, but at the end of the day, we are at work. It's just one more place for us to fulfill our mission, our reason for being on this earth. Amen? So he uses that language. Let me grab some water. He uses that language for a very specific, for a very specific purpose. As we go through this, I'm going to put some scriptures up, and I would love if people would be willing to get those for us because I want you to do this. So if somebody could get Psalm 119, someone else get the two, one, one of the Hebrews, someone to get the other Hebrews, and someone get Philippians, and we'll read through those together. And this will come up multiple times. So, Reggie, you'll get your turn. I'm just kidding. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Philippians... Psalm 119, 17 through 19. Go ahead. Yeah. So he under fully understood that he was a sojourner on the earth. And look at what he asked for. So make your law real to me. Why? Because if you don't, I'm going to act like everybody else that I live with. If, if, I, if you don't make it real to me, I'm going to be just like everyone else wherever I am because that's our tendency. So good stuff. Thank you. Someone else? Um, Hebrews 11, 8 through 10. Okay. Thank you, sir. Yeah, so he was looking for another city, right? He was looking for another city. He understood that. Someone else? Um, 11, 13 through 16?
Amen. So again, they were looking for another city. If they, when they talked about going home, they were talking about the home that they came from, they could have easily gone back. But that wasn't what they were talking about. They were talking about some other home. And one other? Philippians? Philippians? Oh, please. So at the end of the day, in the same way that they were, Peter was writing to someone he was referring to ex, as exiles, who literally were exiled, right? But he was writing to them in, this, in the same way that all of the people we just read about, so also are we. And I think the first step in this process is us just remembering that we are strangers in this land and that this isn't our land. And so therefore, in light of that, what am I supposed to do at work? What is my reason for actually being there? Amen? Amen. All right. Amen? amen. Okay, yeah, when they don't say that's cool, I say, I say that's cool again. So, okay. So, amen, you say amen back. All right. Number two. So, that's our first one. Foundational truth number one. We are exiles, sojourners, and strangers. Number two, we are to live differently. Now, when I was a kid and I would go and spend the night, which, first of all, let me start by telling you that was a rare occurrence. Because my mother believed that all friends needed to come to our house and never send me to their house. I now know as an adult why, but, but as a child, I hated it, right? Because I knew the stuff they got to do at their house that we didn't get to do at ours. But on those rare occasions that she would allow me to go to their house, she would always say the same thing, remember who you are. So when you go down there, it doesn't matter what they are allowed to do. You are only allowed to do what I allow you to do. In other words, there was this reminder that I have a home that I represent when I go there. And why is that important? Because she knew the longer, the more time I spent with them, the more I would begin to take on whatever their customs and things were. Much like the Old Testament. Why, why would God want them to go in and destroy everything and tear down all the high places and all the gods and not marry with your sons and daughters? Because he understood that that would draw their hearts away from him. So... Not only are we exiles, but we are actually to live differently. In this case, you, and I know you've heard the saying, when in Rome, do as the Romans. Okay, well, he's writing to some people who literally are in Rome. <laughs> and he said, don't do like, <laughs> don't, don't do like the Romans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When in Rome, don't be like the Romans is what he told them to do. So, but look, if you would, look at verse, in chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. I will read that to you here. Uh, okay, here we go. So, as obedient children, I'm going to start with just verse 14, and then we'll hit 15. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So I want to stop there for just a second, because I was, there's one thing there that I think is easy to miss. He said, as obedient children. Now, in our society... In our society, children being disobedient is no big thing. I mean, as a matter of fact, in our society, people will tell you that that's normal. Now, I don't want to get drift too far from what I'm supposed to talk about, but I agree with them. It is normally sinful, but it is normal. <laughs> it is normal. I'm not, yeah, they're supposed to rebel. I agree. That is normal, right? So, but in their society, in, in both Roman society and Jewish society, disobedience was punishable. I mean, it was a big deal to not be respectful and not be obedient to your parents. So when Peter says, as obedient children, he's got their attention. Because in their world, that means something. So that's what he says. Now, two things. One is, I do think that it's a nod back to that first verse, right? Where he said, or the second verse, I think it is, where he said he has caused us to be born again. And now he's saying, as obedient children, still carrying the same theme. But look at what he chooses to say. I've said as obedient children, I've got your complete attention at that moment. And what does he tell them? As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. At the moment when he has their greatest amount of attention or a great amount of their attention, he tells them that we are to live differently. Not only are we exiles, but we are also to live differently. We are to look, differently in the, look different in the workplace than the people that we work with. Because that is what God has called us, because that's what God has called us to do. Amen? 
Cool. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> so, but what does he tell him? He tells him, don't, so in other words, don't go and live like you did when you were in ignorance or like you did when you were in darkness. But in fact, what I want you to do is to live like God. Don't live like your neighbors, but be like the one who has caused you to be born again to this living hope, right? You know, to be like the one whose power is guiding you, who is protecting you. In other words, as he who has called you is holy, be holy is what they were called to. And in the same way, he is saying the same thing for us in respect to our in respect to our conduct. And I think that as we think about navigating the workplace, we remember, first of all, that we are strangers. And secondly, that we are called to be different. Now, here's the hard thing about the different. And then if you would, if if someone would pick one of those verses, we'll hit, hit those. Here's the hard thing about the being different. Unlike my mother, when I would go down to my friend's house, I had to come back home. So there was a reminder back home what life was supposed to be like. The problem we have, the struggle we have, is that we have already been drinking the Kool-Aid before we became believers. So the culture has already influenced my thinking prior to me becoming a believer. I've only been doing this for seven, I've only been on this journey for 17 years. So all of those other years, and I know I'm, I'm only 22 now, but I, I know, I know, yeah, I was really young. I mean, I know you're looking at me thinking, wow, oh, he must be really young. <laughs> so... Let me just walk past you, listen to the bones creak, and you'll know. <laughs> so, um, but I think that because for us, we have already, we've already bought into that as being truth, because it's what we've been taught, it's what we've grown up with. The culture has influenced our thinking. And so again, we have to begin to think, what is it, what am I supposed to be like now that I'm a believer? Now that I say that I have, that I'm now a slave to God, what does he command of me? And how does that play out on a day-to-day basis? I can no longer react like I used to react, even though that's going to feel very, very normal. That response feels, as I said earlier about myself, speaking my mind feels very, very normal. It feels like that's what I'm supposed to do. And I, and I have already figured out that you're supposed to hear it, although I'm going to say it any way I want to say it with no regard to whether you actually hear it because I only care that I get to say it. Yeah. You don't know what I'm talking about. You have no idea. I know you don't. <laughs> so anyway, somebody give us First Peter 1.18. Did someone pick that one by any chance? Thank you. Yeah. So we've been redeemed from the empty way of life of our forefathers. We are to now live differently. But that part, that, that part of our forefathers continues to be there. I mean, it continues to go with us. Um, so again, just being aware of it. The next one, um, two, one through three. Yeah, again, letting go of malice and deceit and envy and all of those things that we, that we all experience in the workplace. Um, it's just that for me, what would happen is I didn't see that as what, why I was experiencing. My struggle at this moment has nothing to do with my envy. It has to do with something you said or did, yeah. right? It really, does that make sense? Yeah, you know, I mean, because I don't know about you, but I am so used to my sin that it just doesn't look that bad. But yours, woo! <laughs> what plank in my eye? <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. So yeah, so so it is. So it's letting go of those very things and saying, how often am I responding? And that's what it is, right? And that's what it's about. Okay, next one. Two eleven through twelve, I think. Please, oh. So that there's some glory that we're going to do this. We're going to live in such a way that, that, that when they see us do good and they speak badly about us, it'll bring glory to God. On the day of visitation, 
not tomorrow at work. Stay with me. <laughs> he didn't say tomorrow, <laughs> which is what I want to see it. <laughs> no, no, no. On the day of visitation, continue doing good, and God will take care of this in his own time and in his own way. Amen? And one last one, I'm um, 215. Dave, you want to get it since you were with So we put to silence foolish people by doing good. So we are to, we are to live differently. But here's the, here's the thing that we're going to try to figure out together. And that is, I think it's going to require when we come back together to begin to ask, some, ask and answer some tough questions for ourselves. In other words, what are the circ- as an example, what are the circumstances under which you're less likely to be like this at work? Are there situations in which you are less likely to be this way? Are there certain people that when they cross your path, it provokes something in you? You know, I mean, you, I, I know you guys probably just like me. I mean, I get so impatient when I'm around her. She drives me crazy. Right. No. But if that is a true statement and it's not, obviously, but if it is a true statement, then I need to be aware of that. Right. I need to be because I'm not talking about all the things that just happened. I'm talking about the things that I'm even aware of that you drive me a little crazy. <laughs> So now I need to prepare myself for my interaction with you, right? Because I know that that's a situation in which I'm more likely to not live the way God has called me to live. But that will require us to be honest with ourselves and then, of course, honest with each other, right? Um, because as I said early, as I said this morning, or alluded to at least this morning, you know, at the end of the day, people can't, we can't serve each other, which God has commanded all of us to do, but I can't do it. If I don't know what's going on with you and you can't do it if you don't know what's going on with me. So my not sharing my life with you prevents you from doing the very thing that God has called you to do because I'm not giving you anything to pray about. I not giving you anything to share, to, 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 to pray with or to help me through. That's what I'm hoping that we get collectively as we work together. Amen. All right. So. Finally, the last truth, and then we'll have one other thing I want to do, and I'm doing well on time. I love it. Um, foundational truth number three, which I put together, it was, it was four, but we will endure trials and our trials have a purpose. So Peter first refers to whatever trial that they're enduring in the sixth verse of that first chapter. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Um, probably if we were in our world, the trials they were being, they were enduring would be known as persecution. We probably, trial for us doesn't seem like a really big thing, but um, they were under some significant persecution. Um, I'm not a biblical historian, and there is a couple of them in the room, but if this is written during the time of Nero, then we certainly know that Christians were being um, burned at the stake for entertainment, right? So we're talking serious persecution that was occurring. As a matter of fact, if you flip over, hold your place, but if you flip over to the fourth chapter, 12 through 19, you'll see he talks a little more, it's at least a little more pointed about what they were dealing with. Beloved, do not be surprised when the fiery trial, as the, at the fiery trial, when it comes up on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Wow, interesting that meddling is in the same position with murder. But anyway, I'll go on. Yet, <laughs> right? I'm like, whoo. That, yeah, yeah, now I'm meddling. I was like, <laughs> for sure. That one hit me when I read it. I was like, meddling? Really? That's bad? <laughs> so, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for the judgment to be for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So, again, we know that they were enduring some pretty significant persecution and affliction that goes beyond kind of our word that we would typically think of when we think of someone being under trial. But what I do think is important here is that there's a tendency, I think, I know there has been for me, a tendency to think that it has to be that level of persecution for me to be under trial, right? So, so if I'm not somewhere where I potentially could have my head cut off for being a Christian, I'm, then I'm not enduring any kind of trial or persecution. 
Um, if I'm not, when, he, when I read, if they speak evil of me, if they speak evil of me because of, my, because of um, Christ, then I should glory in that. If I read that, somehow that tells me that I had to be talking about Christ in order for them to do that. And then that's how I get to what he's talking about. When in fact, if I'm living a certain way, the way in which God has called us, that too brings that same persecution, that same trial. And so I think that, that, that the trials are happening to us because here's what I know. God knows exactly what I need and exactly what you need to conform you to the image of Christ. I mean, he knows exactly what it's going to require. It is easy to think, uh, I think it's easy to think because we're here in America where we have some privilege that somehow that persecution is not happening, but it's happening. It's happening. And it also happens in smaller degrees on the job. And this is why I say that our, our trials have a purpose. And that purpose, I believe, is to conform you to the image of Christ. That I think that we have multiple goals for our lives and for our children and all of those things, but God's is pretty single, solitary goal, conforming me to the image of his son. That's what he's doing in my life. And so therefore, everything that's happening is designed to do that. So the challenge that I may face at work is a challenge designed for what purpose? to conform me to the image of Christ. I'm once again having to think about why is this happening? It's happening so I can become conformed to the image of Christ. Anyone here ever paid, prayed for patience? Yeah. Guess what the answer to the prayer is? That person who's driving you crazy. That ain't, that's not the answer you wanted. The answer you wanted was you would just get up off your knees and be patient. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. <laughs> but that's not the way it works. The way it works is that someone has to cross my path that provokes that lack of patience in me because that's how I will learn, first and foremost, that I can't do this on my own. God, I lose my patience with her all the time. I need you. And I will then practice patience because he brought that person across my path. So that becomes the purpose. The trial itself is designed. Remember, we are passing through. We're passing through on our way home and everything that's happening in this life is designed to conform us to the image of his son. He's put us on mission to share him with this world that we're in, in our lifestyle, in the things that we say, in the way we act, that that is the, that is what he's called us to do, but we are on our way home. And I'll say it again. And I'll probably say it multiple times on these few nights that we're going to be together. Work is just one more stop on that road, but it is still the same road. You're still headed home. You just happen to be at work. And, that's, and, and our purpose in being there is still the same as it is when you're at church and when you're with your friends and every other place. The reason why is still the same, to bring honor and glory to God. Amen? Amen. I'm not going to go through these scriptures, so I want to hit these because I'm going to run out of time. I am going to, because there's one other thing I want to do. And so if you, you can get those, if somebody wants to, Take a picture of them if you don't have them. So 1 Peter 2.21, 2 Timothy 3.12, and John 16.33. Um, and then these are the, the purpose of trial. These I would like to hit. So if someone would get 2 Corinthians, someone get the James, and someone get the Roman scripture for us. Did you get the picture of the one before that, Susan? You did? Okay, good, good, good. Didn't mean to put you on the spot, but, I, you know. He's <laughs> <laughs> got the camera. Purpose of trial, 2 Corinthians 4.17.18, anyone? I don't know. You're looking at it. <laughs> you think I have it memorized? Yeah. So one is that this momentary light affliction is doing what is preparing us for this great glory that awaits us. And I love that then he goes on to talk about the temporal versus the eternal. Once again, getting our eyes off of what's happening now and putting our eyes back on the new Jerusalem that we are on our way to, that I, need to keep, that I want to keep my mind there so that when I'm dealing with whatever that struggle is, I understand why it's happening and what it's designed to produce in me. So someone else? Um, James, one, two, three, four. Oh, you're going to say something to read. Okay. Yeah, please. Let perseverance 
So again, it is completing us. I quoted that scripture this morning that, you know, um, that, um, we have, I'm certain of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it, right? Um, at the day of Jesus Christ, not a moment sooner. <laughs> again, not a moment sooner. That's when it's going to happen. That it'll be complete. But again, that, 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 that suffering, that trial, that whatever it is that we're dealing with at, at the office is still working that in, out of us and, we're, and preparing us for the future. One other, um, Romans 5, 3 through 5. Please. Yeah, yeah. We glory in it because of what it's going to produce. That doesn't mean that I'm skipping happily about it. Um, it doesn't mean that I don't, I, it doesn't mean, one of the things I learned um, through the, um, Jerry's teaching on Job, it doesn't mean that I don't sometimes get bitter about it. It doesn't mean that I don't, you know, I don't know about you, but I end up not wanting to pray it like as if God doesn't know I'm thinking it, right? Well, if I don't say, if I don't say it out loud, it's not real. Yeah, but he knows <laughs> anyway. So I might as well go on and say, I'm upset about this. <laughs> Instead of pretending like I'm not. But but at the end of the day, I think it is shifting our thinking about why those things are happening. And by doing so, we can begin to do so. We can begin to respond differently at times in the places where we don't respond differently. We take to one another and we take to prayer. Amen. So those are the three things that as we go through the next couple of classes that. Um, I want us to always kind of re- to remember, to reflect on, to think, you know, this is at, what's at the foundation and this is what's going to anchor us as we have conversations about very specific things that are happening. Um, I also want to make sure one of the things I didn't say is that I want to make sure my goal is also to each week to provide some sort of tool or something that I hope that you can buy that something I can share with you that maybe you can use back on the job if time allows. And since I have a minute before I need to go a couple of minutes, I want to hit you with something I call clarify and confirm. Now, what you may not do know is that in addition to speaking, I do a lot of leadership development. And so there are some things that this kind of stuff that I end up sharing with them, um, again, mainly because of my, my screw-ups. The other thing I want to say before I give you this is that I won't be wearing this jacket every time. I have a date with my wife today <laughs> when we finish, so I thought I need to look good for the pretty lady. You know what I'm saying? You know, you know what I'm saying? Right, 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 right. So we'll also be racing out of here afterwards because we've got to get to where we're going because we're hearing... Um, Rhapsody in Blue, for those of you, yeah, I know, right? I can, I know, yeah. So uh, I love it. I love that. So we're going to go do that. But I, so I won't be able to stick around, but I will stick around in the future. So clarify and confirm. Ever have a situation where the minute someone gets about a half a sentence out of their mouth, you already disagree? Uh, Yeah. You grabbed him. That's interesting. (laughs) I've been in class with him. I know, right? I know. He's just like chomping at the bit to tell me, you are so wrong. <laughs> no, it's not that bad. I just tease it. I just tease it. Um, but the, um, so have you had that situation? Or, and, and additionally, have you ever had it where there's even a lot of emotion attached to it? I mean, it's like, I mean, at the end of the day, I like violently disagree with what you're talking about, right? I mean, I just so disagree. So oftentimes in that moment, it becomes difficult not only to articulate the art, whatever it is you're wanting to say, Um, or, and, or it becomes difficult for the person to hear it. Um, So clarifying and confirm is a a steps that you can take to begin to slow that process down. And so let me, allow me to demonstrate. So let's say you're in the situation, someone has said something and you, you feel that disagreement. The first thing you want to do is clarify, clarify that you actually heard what they said. And by that, I mean the actual words that they said. So did I hear what, so, so what, so what I'm saying to Luke is, did you actually say that you don't like ball brothers in pink shirts? That's what, I mean, I think that's what I heard you say, but I'm checking, right? Because I'm in violent disagreement with him. <laughs> so, so I'm checking with you to make sure that that's what you said. So first thing I'm going to do is clarify. He says, let's assume you said yes. So that is what I said. Now I need to confirm. I need to confirm that by that he means what I think he means. Because that's where the problem occurs. 
Remember this, it's not what you say, it's what they hear. Always. It's always what they hear. So I need to confirm with him that what I believe he meant by those words is actually what he meant. Now, why is that important? Besides misunderstandings and all of that, it, this is why it's important. Because it is going to, when you get in those situations, the blood, the adrenaline starts flowing, the blood leaves the brain, and you can't think straight. You think you're thinking straight. You think it's righteous anger. I mean, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, it looks like righteous anger. I'm turning over tables and, but, but you know, so, but, you, but your, your brain, the reality is the blood leaves the brain and you can't think straight. Clarifying and confirming forces you to engage your brain. It's not going to stop the flow of adrenaline. You're still going to feel what you're feeling, but you have forced your brain to get back into the conversation, which you actually need so that you can think clearly to have the conversation. So the next time you're in a situation where you're wanting to violently disagree, at least stop and clarify and confirm because you can again re-engage your brain in the process. Amen? Oh, I don't know if that's an amen one, but is that good? Is that cool? That's, that one's cool, right? That was cool. Okay. That's not biblical, so I guess that's cool. No, that's okay. <laughs> that's cool. All right, good. Anyway, any questions for me before we run off to see Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue? <laughs> Please, sir. For the sessions or for I do a for the sessions, yeah, yeah. Unless I thought you meant like even when I come to see you on Friday morning, I'm like, dude, no, okay. <laughs> thank you. I might do that now that you compliment. That looks sharp. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, if you don't, I like. I, um, I, first, of all, let me say how much I appreciate your attention. We'll do some things together the next time we we do this. But uh, if I can just close this in prayer. Our gracious Father, again, we're just so thankful that you've allowed us to gather together, and we thank you for the, the truth of your word, and, um, and we thank you for the love that you have for us and that you've poured out on us and that we now are developing for one another. And we just pray that we would um, use your truth, that your truth would be embedded in our hearts and our minds, and that it would begin to impact our behavior, especially at work. Um, whatever those challenges are that anyone in this room is facing, Father, I just pray that they would bring it to you and that you would make the path clear for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.